Hello and welcome to the first episode of Perfecting Potatoes Together, brought to you by BASF. I'm Cedric Porter and I'm the editor of World Potato Markets and co-host of the Planet Potato podcast. Today we're talking blight, but before we do that, I know for most of us every day is a potato day. But there's some very exciting news that the 30th of May could become World Potato Day. The home of the spud, Peru, already celebrates its spuds on that day. And the organisers of the World Potato Congress in Dublin next year are lobbying for official recognition to make it a global day. With 400 million tonnes of the crop produced every year, I think it's high time for the potato to achieve that accolade. So, to the topic of the day, blight. It's one of the biggest robbers of yield around, and I'm joined by two experts who will help guide us through blight threat to this season and beyond, and how the disease can be controlled. We have Dr David Cook, research leader at the James Hutton Institute in Dundee, and Paul Goddard, stewardship and value chain manager at BASF. David, first things first, briefly remind us of the blight's basics. What is it, what does it do, and how does it spread? Yeah, um, well, potato blight is caused by Phytophthora infestans. First, get the Latin name out of the way. Uh, Phytophthora means plant destroyer in in Greek, and the pathogen certainly lives up to its name, I'm afraid. So the main problems for growers are, of course, lesions spreading on the foliage throughout the season, lesions spreading to the stems. If you get a stem blight lesion, it can kill off that whole plant. And then as the season progresses, you know, the epidemic can move down and infect tubers and, of course, cause tuber blight, which causes losses in stores in store, as well as a problem um, in terms of yield and quality. So, it's a, a, you know, it's a, it is a big problem and it can spread explosively. I think one of just a, a key fact to remember is that a, a lesion the size of a one pence piece produces 20,000 spores per day. So you can imagine just doesn't take many lesions to get an epidemic running. Wow, that just shows how damaging blight can be if left unchecked. Uh, and how's blight season shaping up this season? Yeah, it's uh, there isn't so isn't such a thing as a typical year, of course, and it's been another unusual season, um, as growers will know. You know, a very cold, slow start, um, and at dry conditions. So primary inoculum was was checked. A wet May in many parts, which you know would have expected to cause the, the blight to start spreading and then things drying up again. So far, the fight against blight uh, sponsored by the HDB has, has only reported two outbreaks, one in Kent and one in the southwest of England. Um, so I would say a quiet start. But as I've just said, it's always got a chance of exploding and the inoculum is hiding away in tubers and volunteers and can spread very rapidly. And um, so quiet, quiet start so far. And can July be a big month for blight i mean classically it's called late blight because it appeared late in the season now that has changed over the years and it's taken to generally speaking appearing earlier in the season and of course once it's established early then you're always could be fighting a losing battle in terms of trying to manage that so yeah typically july and august and the times when the crop is growing very rapidly it can be quite difficult to manage if we get conditions which are conducive to blight how can growers monitor and tell others about blight? Yeah, this this work on the fight against blight scheme has been really a cooperative effort. It's 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 led um, in the UK by HDB as the fight against blight campaign, but expands out to European system with the Euroblight campaign. And through monitoring the pathogen population, we can really uh, give you the growers the um, information you need to manage blight better. So we are are urging people to log on to the fight against blight HDB website if you're not already a a registered scout 
And if you do find blight in your crops, you know, send that on through through to us at the James Hutton. Um, we can, if you contact us, we can send you sample packs. Do uh, do send us that information because we give that um, give the information back to you in the form of the genotypes, uh, which tells you how best to manage that in terms of um, fungicide resistance and issues like that. I would also also encourage growers to uh, to also look at the Blight Spy tool, which is a, a kind of a, a, a current replacement for what, as it used to be, Blight Watch. If you look on HTB website again for Blight Spy, and that really is telling you not whether the inoculum is present, but it does tell you whether the weather conditions are conducive to blight. And that's quite a new tool, which gives you a, a seven day forecast in advance. So quite a, a powerful new way of looking at it. You mentioned the Euro Blight project, David. Um, how much uh, blight spread is there from the continent to the UK and vice versa? Over the last decade or so that we've been tracking blight populations, um, the flow has been tended to be come from continental Europe to Britain. Um, to be honest, we're not quite sure why, but aggressive lineages of blight, uh, their clonal lineages, have, have tended to emerge in, especially in parts of the starch growing areas of the Netherlands and northern Germany. And some very damaging lineage, lineages like the uh, Blue 13 uh, type, which was insensitive to metal axle many years ago, was a problem and overcame sources of resistance. More recently, we have another lineage, uh, 37A2, um, which is insensitive to fluazinam. And again, growers have had to adapt and change the way they use fluazinam to make sure that blight is effectively managed. So there is always new threats, unfortunately. The pathogen is is able to evolve very rapidly. Um, and these new types always represent a new challenge for, for growers, either in their aggressiveness or their ability to overcome resistance or fungicides. Turning to you, Paul, given the changing nature of blight, how important is having a wide range of controls? It is indeed, yes. I think it's, it's one of those diseases that uh, never goes away. It's always there in the background. And we may have certain parts of the year through conditions. And I think we had that earlier this year with the, the cold start to the year where it was unfavourable for inoculum development. It's very easy for people to look upon that and go, actually, there's no blight out there. Well, I think there probably is blight out there. Just conditions haven't enabled it to be seen. And as David has said with regards to the name, uh, Phytophthora, plant destructor, you, uh, you give it space at your peril. So uh, we, we need to be anticipating what will happen, what will come along. Because again, once blight starts to, to take hold, it is very difficult to turn that clock back. In fact, you'd argue you couldn't turn that back. It's a case of slowing it down and trying to stop it, which is very difficult. All the mechanisms we have work best in a preventative case, in protection, protecting the, the, the crop, protecting the foliage. And that goes all the way back to the, the fight against blight. And the, the first step there with IPM is uh, managing the, the source of inoculum. So volunteers, groundkeepers, um, dumps from last year, uh, managing those correctly. Um, it's just one of the one of the sides to the infection pyramid. Um, and if we can keep on top of that, then ultimately it will help. But at the end of the day, chemistry is important to, to manage the disease. And uh, what we're seeing this year is uh, the market is, is changing. Up until this season, we have, as an industry, relied very heavily upon Mancazeb-based chemistry. Um, I think it takes 35-40% of the the products being used to contain that chemistry and it's been incredibly valuable to us 
I would say for the the season that we've got ahead of us, we are lucky because we do still have Mancazeb in the marketplace. It is still possible to use that. I think it is, well, I know it's still unclear as to whether where the end point is with regards to, to that, that chemistry. Um, but I think that everybody is in agreement that there, there is an end point ahead of us. And so we need to be looking to alternative strategies going forward because uh, Mankazeb has given us um, good activity against late blight, plus, as we call it, a bog off against early blight. And it's brought in multi-site activity, which has helped to protect varietal resistance and help to protect resistance, help to protect the chemistry that is out there as well. From a BASF point of view, there's some products on the market and others coming down the pipeline. Indeed they are. For this season, we've widely released a product called Inervin SC. That is the straight amatoxidin product and is increasingly being seen as the the, the alternative, the replacement for Mancazeb going ahead as a, a mixer product. It is most definitely a mixer product. It's a single site active and so it needs to be used with other chemistry. It works very well with Mancazeb, it's fair to say, and we did have a co-formulation with Mancazeb as a product, um, but it, it works very well. So I would see that as being a very good option, stable canopy with Mancazeb, if people can get it, if it's available. I know there's limited supply going forward with new stocks coming in maybe mid to late July. That would still be a good opportunity to be using the chemistry. Um, the Inervin SC with Mancazeb tank mix works very well at the stable canopy uh, part of the program, and we've seen it at Ock and Groove with uh, Ruri and uh, at Eurofins in trials there, where it has performed very strongly, very strongly indeed. And there are other products coming over the horizon? It, indeed there are. We have the coded material BAS 657 coming along. Um, we anticipate approval early part of uh, next year. This product has the, the unique mode of action that you have with a Nervin SC, uh, with amatoxidin. It is a QOSI, amatoxidin, so there are no other QOSIs out there. Uh, one of the, the strengths of that is that it doesn't clash with the other chemistries. And one of the things I am hearing is it is getting quite congested when following the FRAC guidance to keep your programme running and chemistry that doesn't clash is proving to be particularly useful and hence the interest both in an Irvin SC and also our BAS 657. So BAS 657 also brings a second mode of action. Um, the first approved use for potassium phosphonate in the potato crop. It's a co-formulation. Uh, with that, it brings uh, multi-site activity. Um, I think we now live in an age where potatoes, yes, but uh, other crops as well, we increasingly value multi-sites as we increasingly lose multi-sites. Um, as with everything in life, you really appreciate it when it's gone. Um, and we are losing the chemistries. Um, this is a new multi-site coming to the potato crop, so it has that particular value um, in helping to protect other chemistry. We've seen the power of variants with COVID-19 in the last 18 months, but how dangerous can a new uh, blight variant be? There's, it's one of those difficult questions. We don't know until it arrives, of course. What we do in our monitoring is we look at the population and we look at what types are present. And typically, then we go back and say, OK, right, there's a new lineage which is spreading. 
So clearly it's got some advantage, um, which suggests that it's more difficult to manage because it's it's pushing out an existing population. I suppose a little bit like what we're discussing with the COVID variants, you know, the, the Delta variant is certainly displacing others because of some traits it has. It's the same with blight. So we're looking at uh, variants which are uh, probably more aggressive. Um, perhaps there's an is issue with insensitivity to fungicides. Perhaps it's just that they're overcoming a source of blight resistance in some cultivars which are important um, but it's clearly important that we pass that information back to growers so they can fashion their integrated um, pest management campaigns and their spray schedules um, to account for that. David how important is is it to have a range of existing and new products in the fight against blight? Yeah no, that, that is really important I mean there's a there is a, a good range of active ingredients out there which is uh, we should be very thankful for so um, however, you know, the pathogen doesn't know what's there. It just responds to selection pressures that are put on it um, through agricultural practice. So, you know, if we apply too much of any single product, there is always a risk and you increase the risk of insensitivity developing to that product. So having a wide range of products is making it very difficult for the pathogen to to actually develop you know, a problematic insensitivity. If it, if it appears in a crop, in a particular crop for a particular product, the next different active ingredient will check that and keep it under control so keeping that uh, checkerboard and variation is is critical in light management so finally what are your key control messages this season paul uh, and then david in, in terms of controlling blight i think that there's nothing better than having the option to use and i think this is where the using the diverse chemistry that we have because as david has said there is we do have a good choice of chemistry. Um, unfortunately, the nature of blight means that uh, we, we can be spraying a crop for typically on 12 occasions. If we get a difficult season, that can increase by at least 50%. And this is where the diverse chemistry comes in because you then have the option to use that chemistry if you haven't already used it because you've, you've used the modes of action earlier in the programme. Um, also, in terms of how the, the chemistry is used, a um, piece of work, a paper by um, Frank van der Bosch et al. from Rothamsted highlighted how the, the real value in terms of protecting chemistry comes from either using mixtures or alternation of chemistry um, as opposed to blocks. So that would be one of the options going forward, I would say. And then it's a case of, as I say, the, the alternation, having the, the options, because we do have a lot of products. But when you look at the classification, if you take out the... Um, in, in terms of modes of action, we have, I think, 12 still approved on the, the CRD website. But then when you look at the, the, the chemistry that's being lost to resistance, and we take out Mancozeb, and we take out... CAA and QII chemistry, three quarters of what we have available to us have gone in those three brush strokes, um, which leaves us with a relatively tight toolbox if we're going to be spraying um, 12, but if that increases even further with a difficult season. And as I say, what, what we need to do is, I believe, use the chemistry wisely, use the, the modes, all the modes we've got. I also think, again, we need to protect chemistry and tank mixes, co-formulated products are the, the way to go in terms of protecting the chemistry, but also protecting the crop. You don't want to find out it's gone wrong because it's too late when it's gone wrong. 
Yeah, well, as a plant pathologist, I'm always thinking of that disease triangle that uh, Paul was just talking about. And the first thing is inoculum. If you haven't got inoculum around, your blight pressure is going to be a lot lower. So get out there and look out for volunteers with, with blight on them. If they're there, you know, get rid of those. Look out for potato dumps with inoculum on them. Assuming that inoculum has come in, then just keep scouting, keep looking out for those early signs of blight. Um, bear in mind how explosive epidemics can develop, especially at this time of year, because the crop is putting on new growth so rapidly in these warm conditions um, that it, once it gets in, it can really catch you out. So be aware and be alert. Keep those spray intervals tight and stepping back a little bit, thinking longer term. I mean, my personal view is that we should be using more host resistance, in fact, um, in general, because that is going to reduce the risks to growers a lot. Thank you both for that great advice. We protect potatoes so that we can grow as much of this wonderful crop as possible for people to enjoy. So what is your favourite way of eating potatoes, David? Well, classically, we have a fantastic chip shop just down the road. So I must say fish and chips takes an awful lot of beating. But when the weather's warm, I must say I'm starting to err to more towards um, good, good potato salads. Oh, that's a difficult one. That is, uh, I suppose I go down the seasonality route, really. Um, this time of year, I like the, the new potatoes coming in. Um, nothing better than having something that's really, really fresh, new out of the ground. And then as we work our way through, it, it depends what I, I have to, to complement the potatoes. So I, I would have to say mashed, roast, chipped, subject to the complement, works very well. And like David said, fish and chips, good fish and chips, they take a lot of beating. They really, really do. Thanks, Paul. It sounds as though you like potatoes in any form possible, and I don't blame you. This podcast is all about perfecting potatoes together, so we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at BASF Crop UK, or you can sign up to the Real Results Virtual Farm by going to www.agricentre.basf.co.uk. There you'll find more information and an opportunity to be involved. So many thanks again to David and Paul and for you to listening. Keep your eyes peeled for blight and happy potato growing. Thanks very much. Bye bye.